Hi friends, my name is Caitlin Matchy and I would like to welcome you to The Thought Maze. Thank you so much for joining us today. So we talked a little bit last week about the first half of Bessel van der Kolk's book called The Body Keeps the Score and his work and insights have revolutionized our understanding of trauma and its treatment. And his theories have really not only brought awareness to what it's like to have trauma and why the body reacts the way that it does to trauma, but it also has transformed the way that we approached healing from traumatic experiences. So we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, we talked more about the basics of what it's like to experience trauma and what happens in the body and the brain when somebody does experience trauma. So we're going to talk a little bit more this week about what to do about it and what kind of treatments are available. Let's just start by delving into Dr. Vanderkoek's perspective on trauma. He emphasizes the really profound impact that trauma has on the body and the mind. He highlights how it can manifest physically, um, psychologically, and emotionally. And it really changes a person's perception of the world. It can change one's perception of their own body. His number one function of his work is to emphasize that traumatic experiences often get stored in the body, which leads to ongoing stress and dysregulation of both bodily function and emotions. But the good news is, is that Dr. Vanderkoek has also shown us that there is hope in treatments and different approaches to helping people with trauma. So he talks a little bit about different therapeutic modalities. Um, He talks about neurofeedback, um, EMDR, which is a really popular modality right now, and also yoga for trauma. He also talks a little bit more about the importance of social engagement in healing from trauma, as well as we kind of mentioned previously, using body movement to kind of help somebody get reacquainted with their body. And we'll, we'll go over this a little more in depth. And then also just being able to know how to speak about what you're experiencing and what you have experienced in the past. So let's just start, I guess, a little more with The types of modalities and modalities for those who um, who aren't super involved in the mental health world. Modalities are uh, treatments that therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists use for different types of mental disorders. So the first one that we will kind of look into is called neurofeedback and What neurofeedback does is help regulate brain activity. And we, if you listened last week, you know that brain function is severely disorganized when somebody has experienced trauma. We talked a lot about examples of people who lose brain activity whenever they experience triggers and flashbacks. Dr. Vanderkolk did a lot of studies that showed these 
on MRI scans. And so what neurofeedback does is it teaches the brain how to be, <laughs> for lack of a better word, normal again. It, it regulates the brain activity to normal brain activity over time. You know, it's not like a one and done fix. And if we can teach the brain what it's like to function normally, kind of just like uh, exercising, you know, if you train your body to do something over and over and over again over time, eventually it'll become second nature. And same for the brain. At least that's the hope. A really popular modality right now is called EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. I'll give you a really good example. The first time I ever heard of EMDR was actually from a show called The Affair. In, I think, a later season, they actually show... EMDR at work multiple times. It's a little different now, not completely different, but in the show they just use their fingers. You pass your fingers back and forth over someone's face. They're supposed to watch your fingers go back and forth. And nobody really knows how it works, but for some reason it helps access portions of the brain better, I guess, and helps you access memories and I have a professor and he specializes in EMDR and even he admits that he really doesn't know how it works, but it does. Either way, so some therapists just use their fingers. They have light boxes now, sort of, which is a lot of times if you see EMDR represented in media, that is what you will see. It's just a bar of LED lights that flash back and forth. And you can also use different pressure points, tapping, things like that. And I have not experienced EMDR myself. I do have two friends in school who have used EMDR in the past as clients, not as therapists. And they said it's pretty rough, but quite effective. So um, that is something that I am hoping to get a little bit more experience in and possibly use in the future as a trauma therapist. But either way, the process of using bilateral stimulation, and I know probably most of you who have listened to me are on TikTok, and you have probably seen many examples of bilateral stimulation on TikTok, especially if you're on ADHD or anxiety or depression TikTok. You've probably heard the songs that go back and forth between your right side and your left side. That is often also used along with the lights for EMDR treatment. So if that's something that helps you, you might want to look into possible EMDR therapy. So Dr. Vanderkolk talks a lot about yoga and mindfulness, and he is a huge advocate of yoga as a therapeutic treatment for people who have experienced trauma because many people who have experienced trauma kind of lose touch with their bodies, even physically. I'm not just talking metaphorically losing touch with your bodies. I'm talking physically lose touch with your bodies. He actually has an example in the book of a woman who goes to 
kind of have like a massage treatment sort of, but it's it's almost, it's more therapeutic than massage. The massage therapist had her hands on this woman's feet for a minute or two and she didn't even realize it. She couldn't feel it. It seems like there should be something physically wrong with her in that case, but it just means that the brain is not operating the body as it should. And again, the brain is just trying to protect in the best way that it knows how. And sometimes that means reducing functions, even, you know, bodily sensations like that. So he talks about yoga because it is so slow, so deliberate, so relaxing that it's a really good way for someone to just learn what their body feels like. Now, I do yoga from time to time, and I can tell you that I feel some muscles that I probably haven't used (laughs) in a while whenever I do yoga. And because yoga builds in the idea of mindfulness, if you're doing it correctly, and I'll grant you that I'm not as good about that part. But yoga, you know, you're supposed to focus on the present when you're doing it and feel the way your body moves and the sensations that you feel, and just focus on what you're doing in the here and now. We talked a little bit last week about those type of practices being important to show your body that what's happening now is what's happening now, and what's in the past is in the past, and separating those two things to be able to distinguish past events, triggers, from your safety as of this present moment. And building mindfulness into yoga is extremely important and extremely beneficial in doing this. It has helps reconnect your mind and your body and getting that link back to where it should be. And of course, it's, it's stress reducing, you know, put on some nice yoga, you know, meditative type music while you're doing yoga. As long as you're not doing anything, any yoga positions to, um, far outside your comfort zone, it's actually pretty stress-reducing. And it just promotes self-awareness of the present, which is something that anyone who has experienced trauma needs to practice more and more. And it's extremely beneficial for them. Then we go into somatic experiencing. And that just means being able to feel sensations in your body again. Tapping pressure points. Stretching. You know, just feeling the way that your body works and teaching your brain, hey, here I am. This is what I'm supposed to feel like. But of course, the number one thing is that everybody's different and everybody's trauma is different. Not everybody has the time to go to neurofeedback treatments every week or EMDR treatments. And you may not feel safe doing that type of treatment. So maybe learning how to do somatic experiencing or yoga and mindfulness would be better for you. And some people just can't stay still long enough to try yoga. And maybe you would rather be in a more controlled environment and do neurofeedback treatments or EMDR treatments. And that's fine. Everybody is different and the important part is doing what makes you feel safe. So I talked a little bit last week about the importance of bringing awareness to trauma. We talked about past issues with the VA and the idea that it's just easier to cover up 
the symptoms of trauma rather than acknowledge their existence and why they exist. Dr. Vanderkolk really stresses that kind of social connection that sitting in the dark isn't therapeutic. And I can truly vouch for that. I spent 20-something years of my life not talking about what had happened to me as a child. And I can tell you that I experienced no healing from that. If anything, my symptoms of trauma got worse over that time. And I can truly tell you that being more open about what I experienced and talking about it has done me a world of good. Because I realized that I am not to blame for what occurred to me, what occurred in my childhood. I was just a child. And hiding what happened to me doesn't protect me. It only protects the abuser. And by speaking out about what has happened to me, I learned so many stories from other people who I also thought had perfectly normal childhoods and perfectly normal lives. And I learned that they experienced horrible things as well. And we have connected through that. Finding people who understand, and even if they haven't experienced exactly what you experienced, and nobody ever will, finding people who understand and accept the things that you feel and the things that you went through shows you that you are not alone. And there is hope. There is hope for healing. Because it's so easy to think that you are the only person in the world who has experienced what you have experienced. And again, nobody's experience is like yours. And even I have heard stories about children who were hospitalized because they were beaten so badly. And of course, you hear stories about children who were abused so badly that they are no longer with us. And you can sit and think, well, what I experienced wasn't that bad, right? I'm still here. I think of Chester Bennington, the lead singer of Linkin Park, who tragically died by suicide. And he experienced depression, primarily as a result of abuse from childhood. And I hear his story and think about how did he not survive his abuse, and I did. It's so easy to compare yourself to others like that. And that's not helpful. That just leads to withdrawal. It makes you think that nobody could possibly ever understand what you went through. And therefore, why bother? Why bother talking about it? Why bother reaching out to others? Nobody will ever understand. That's not true. I've learned that's not true. There are people out there who understand. Maybe not specifics, but they understand. They know what you feel. They know what you've been through. Because they have also been through that. Or they know somebody who's been through that. They know people who have survived and prospered despite what they've been through. And they also know people who have lost that battle. Reach out to people around you. You never know who's been through something similar. Because unfortunately, we're very good at hiding it. I know some people think that we hope that our families, the people who we're closest to, could be the ones that understand us the best. They're the ones that should have our backs. And that's not always true. If the trauma happened within your own family, it becomes a little difficult sometimes for your family to acknowledge what happened or talk about it. And that may make you think that you've got nobody in your corner whenever it comes time to dealing with that or trying to heal. And that doesn't have to be the case. 
probably my best relationships when it comes to my own healing have been my friends, my husband. I'm not saying my family isn't supportive, but I have a best friend who has a similar background to me. I have friends who have the same type of passion for helping people that I do. I have a husband who is extremely accepting, unfailingly. And those are the type of relationships that will help you heal. So find those relationships. And that will be your safe place to start your healing journey. Let's get a little bit more into, um, not necessarily modalities, but just activities that you can do to just build that calming, stress-reducing safe place. We talked a lot about yoga. That is actually what I am attempting to use right now. I'm not very good at it, and that's okay. But I do find it pretty relaxing. Tai Chi. I have also done Tai Chi, and I find it very relaxing as well. It's just very fluid and calming movements. Dancing is really good to help your body understand its limits. And rhythm is extremely important in helping you find that safe place. It helps your brain realize the here and now. Anything relating to movement, drumming, singing, clapping. I talked a little bit about using clapping and rhythm to break out of dissociation last week. All these types of activities kind of do something similar. Anything you can do to just kind of strengthen that connection with your mind and your body, because even though that connection is so strong that your body can store trauma that your mind doesn't want to process, they're also very disconnected sometimes whenever somebody has experienced trauma. And we want to rebuild that relationship. So we talked a little about about speaking out, speaking as a method of healing. But how you speak about it can also be extremely important. Now, I know there's a lot of focus now on political correctness. And this may seem really, really silly in the bigger picture. But you'd be surprised. I did a paper in my psychology undergrad about what's called illness identity. It's when somebody takes something that's wrong with them and they incorporate it into their personality. And it can be something as simple as saying, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm crazy, I'm an alcoholic, I'm autistic, I'm a drug addict. You are not those things. Those things are just a small piece of who you are. And separating yourself from those things and realizing that you are so much bigger than them is what's going to empower you. Or if you incorporate those things into your identity, it can be really easy to say, well, I'll never change. This is always going to be what I'm like. And that's not true. You can change. You may never be 100% rid of any one thing, any addiction, any illness or mental disorder. But you can learn how to live around it. It doesn't have to completely consume you. And learning that you are more than that is step one. Dr. Vanderkoek talks a lot about what's called expressive therapies, and I love this idea. I really want to use these type of therapies eventually, whenever I become a licensed therapist. 
the reason why I think these things are so important and so effective is that people with trauma, it's hard to just sit and talk about it. Like traditional talk therapies, it's really hard to just sit and tell your story. And we've learned that you can't always express how you're feeling because your brain literally won't let you. So thinking outside the box when it comes to therapeutic techniques is what is going to help promote healing. Writing. I write letters all the time in therapy. Making art. We've done that in class before. And it was really interesting. The things that come out even subconsciously. Music is my number one thing that I'm going to use one day because music is so therapeutic to me. I love music. My goal is to one day make my clients come in with their song of the day or song of the week, depending on how they're feeling. And we'll talk about it. I love that idea because music really speaks. I don't know who actually said this, but I've heard the quote, music speaks when words fail. And that is very, very true to me. So if you have a favorite song or something, you may want to maybe look into it a little bit more and see if there's a reason. So all this sounds relatively uncontroversial, right? But that's not necessarily the case. My husband and I actually just had a conversation yesterday about the controversy of counseling and psychology being exact science. There are some people out there who want it to be an exact science, like any other type of science. But there is so much that we don't know about the brain and every person is so different. And it's really hard scientifically to duplicate studies over and over and over again. Not impossible, but hard. And to me, it becomes more about helping what helps people rather than what can we scientifically prove. But that's just me. There are people who are the exact opposite of that. They would rather be more scientific about it than knowing how to apply it. And there have been a lot of criticisms and controversies around Dr. Vanderkolk's approaches to trauma. You know, a lot of people say there's no evidence supporting these types of therapies. And we should stick with the therapies that have been more scientifically proven. I'll leave you to be the judge of that. But I know my feelings. And as somebody who has experienced trauma I would rather think outside the box and do whatever it takes to help that person rather than what's just been scientifically proven. Again, that's just me. So when I look to the future of trauma treatment, both as a traumatic experience survivor and as a future therapist, it's all going to evolve. Things are going to change. Traditional therapies that have been around since basically the beginning Maybe they'll start to fade out. Maybe other therapies will start to become more popular. EMDR is. The point is to keep trying. Clinicians just need to keep trying. And remember why they're doing this. To help somebody feel less alone and less afraid. And that may mean thinking outside the box. But what it absolutely means is doing what it takes to help that particular person who's sitting in front of you. Trauma is not a one-size-fits-all issue. It's extremely personal, and the treatment should be too. So, as we wrap up our discussion on The Body Keeps the Score, I just want to say that 
Dr. Bessel van der Kolk's theories have really reshaped our understanding of trauma and how we treat it. And he's really emphasized the importance of body-centered approaches. And I really hope that somebody learned something from this book. And I really, really recommend that you go pick it up and read it. It's a long book, I won't lie, but it's amazing. I just hope that somebody has heard something today. Maybe you'll start doing yoga. Maybe you'll start doing mindfulness. Maybe you'll go and talk to somebody about doing EMDR treatments. And if it helps you, please let me know. I would be very interested in hearing your experiences. But just remember that if you or someone you know is struggling with trauma, seek professional help. Try different techniques. Don't be afraid to advocate for yourself. And that could be a really good first step. I want to thank you all for joining us today on The Thought Maze. And please, once again, subscribe to my podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And also, send me your survivor stories. Next week will be our first survivor story series. This is the part of the podcast that I am most excited about. So please send me your survivor stories at thethoughtmaze at gmail.com or reach out to me on social media. I'm on TikTok and Instagram at thethoughtmaze. Thank you again for joining us today. And I just want to end with a quote by the great Shonda Rhimes. You are not alone. You are seen. I am with you. You are not alone. Thank you so much, my friends. And I'll talk to you next week. It's recorded and produced by Caitlin Matchy. Please remember, if you have an immediate mental health need, the mental health hotline is available anytime. Please call or text 988.